We've been talking for the past month about spiritual battles. We went through the first few chapters and we've been looking at the book of Joshua as a pattern on what spiritual battles are and how they're fought. We went through the first five chapters and we talked about how our attitude should be in this battle, that we should have faith and courage. And that courage will put fear in the heart of the enemy. We need to walk in obedience in every aspect of obedience, even if it seems irrelevant to the law, to the, uh, the battle that's going on. We have to believe and expect in miracles. Um, and when we do see a miracle, we have to have a, uh, we should build a memorial to that miracle that we would, that we would never forget it. And lastly, we have to be in the covenant. Um, a man who, you know, I, the example I give to my children, if, you, if we went to Israel and there was a battle going on and you just walked up to some IDF soldiers and said, I want to fight, I'm going to fight with you. I said, you're not one of us. You can't fight. There has to be a covenantal relationship. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 11, first of all. Luke chapter 11 and read verse 14 through 26. Luke chapter 11, verse 14 through 26. And he was casting out a devil, and it was dumb. And it came to pass, when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake. And the people wondered, but some of them said, he cast out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And others tempting him sought of him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself was brought to desolation, and house divided against the house falls. But if Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because ye say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man armed keeps his palace, his goods are in peace. When a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he takes from him all his armor wherewith he trusted and divides the spoils. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walks through dry places seeking rest, and finding none, he said, I will return unto my house whence I came. And when he cometh, he finds it swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell therein, and the last state of the man is worse than the first. The scripture speaks extensively about, about spiritual battles going on. And people don't even see, they don't believe, they don't realize what's going on. Yeshua talks about a man in this passage. He begins by casting out demons out of a man. And some people are, are, they don't want to accept what they see in him. And he ended this passage by saying, a man who had an unclean spirit, the spirit left him, and he, the spirit went walking around, looking rest. He said, I might as well go back where I came from. And he came back and he said, what a wonderful place. And he brings seven other unclean spirits more wicked than him. And the man's state is worse than the first. When you fight a spiritual battle, you have to fight to win, or you will lose. We're going to turn to Joshua chapter 6, and we're going to continue our study of, 
of spiritual battles. And it's a war to the end. It's not just, oh, well, let's just fight and hold our ground. You win or you lose. Joshua chapter 6. Now, up to this point in the book of Joshua, the first five chapters, we have not fought yet. We've sent spies into Jericho. We, we dried up the, the, the Jordan River and crossed it. But we haven't actually fought. And this is our first engagement with the enemy. But before you engage an enemy, Yeshua said, ask yourself, can I go to battle with him a thousand with a thousand? Or should I ask for terms of peace? There was a foundation laid before this. And this is the beginning of the battle. Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. Yahweh said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. You shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go around the city once. Thus shall you do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. The seventh day you shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. It shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the shofar, all the people shall shout with a great shout, the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall send up every man straight before him. We knew a war was coming, and it's time to fight the battle, but we have a, an insurmountable obstacle. Remember, we just crossed the Jordan River. Moses just died weeks, months before this. We're still a bunch of slaves who have been set free. We're not an army. We have a city with huge walls. What are we going to do? We're fighting a battle for the Almighty. And you must expect and believe that miracles will happen. So the one obstacle we have, this massive wall, God says, the wall will fall down. I will remove the obstacle and you will fight. And he tells us, you march around for six days. On the seventh day, when you get to the long blast on the shofar, the walls will fall, you will shout, and every man will attack. There's a quote that I repeat very often, uh, a quote from Israel that anyone who doesn't believe in miracles is not a realist. You must believe. I was told by uh, several soldiers in the past, American soldiers, that the Pentagon refused to study the wars of modern Israel because they said they don't make sense. The War of Independence. How did two crop duster planes defeat the Egyptian Air Force with a few hundred airplanes? The Egyptians turned back against two crop dusters. They said, we, we can't, we're not going to study their tactics. They don't make sense. Um, it was brought out, um, Daniel brought out two weeks ago, I believe, that he had to do a report when he was back in college and, uh, about some of the wars in Israel. And he wanted to hear both sides. He said, let me be fair and hear what the other side. So he, he got some books from some of the 
Arab nations, and they were explaining the war. And they said, <laughs> the Arabs wrote in their books, these wars weren't fair because God was fighting for them. You're right. Why don't you just acknowledge it and live that way? If the army will not study the ancient battles, the, the modern battles of Israel, can you imagine them studying this battle of Jericho? We're going to march around, we're going to blow a shofar, and the walls will fall down. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. What makes sense is walking in obedience and faith, believing God will do miracles, and that he can do anything at any time. So we march around. We march around, and we say, we will bring this down. Turn with me. We're going to come back in a few minutes. But turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle. They were gathered together at Soho, which belonged to Judah, and pitched between Soho and Nazikah in Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. There's a battle that's about to take place. We all know the battle is David and Goliath. And it says, we pitched in array. We, we line up, and we're about to fight the Philistines. But in every battle of the Lord, what you see is not the whole battle. There's a spiritual battle going on here. We're not going to read the story. We know the story. I'm going to pick up in verse 42 through 47, when, when David runs to challenge Goliath. Uh, still, First Samuel 17, verse 42 through 45, through 47. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comes to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh to the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, that comest to me with a sword, with spear, and shield. But I come to thee in the name of Yahweh of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day will Yahweh deliver you into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thy head from thee. I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day to the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that Yahweh saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is Yahweh's, and he will give you into our hands. These verses are, to me, the most inspiring verses in all of Scripture. David's response. And, and, and everybody looks and they see something different. Why did David go to fight? Because no one else would. Why? Because they looked as a man looked. David looked as God looks. And that's why David was chosen. Remember, Samuel went to anoint him. And he said, he saw his firstborn, Eliab, the firstborn of Jesse. He said, surely the Almighty's anointed is before me. And the Almighty told Samuel, you look as a man looks. 
but I look at the heart. I have not chosen them. The Almighty sees so different. And we think it's a physical battle going on. And Saul, remember, Saul is head and shoulders taller than everyone else. See, he's six and a half feet tall. He's like an American basketball player. He's huge. He's afraid to go too. Everyone's afraid to go. Because they look as a man looks. And David, who is chosen because his, his chooser, God, said, I'm not looking like a man. I'm looking the way I need to look. I'm looking at a spiritual reality. David li- walks in that reality. He lives in that reality. He says, you come against me. You're coming against the God of Israel. He didn't say, he didn't say you're fighting just against us. He said, you have defied the God of Israel. David understood this was not just a physical battle. And if you see it that way, what are we going to do? We're going to hide like Saul, who's big. Saul, I, I didn't realize this till in the last few weeks. I was reading about Saul. I, w- I went through 1 Samuel and I realized Saul fought a lot of battles. They're not listed in detail, but that man fought. And he was scary. He started off scary and he finished scary. He knew how to fight. But he looked with his eyes. And he didn't realize this is a spiritual battle. This person is not defying you. He's defying the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And David said, it's not going to be that way. But there's something important about this. Turn back to verse 3. Something important about this. About fighting this spiritual battle. David, it said David ran to meet Goliath. I'm going to read verse 3 again. 1 Samuel 17, 3. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, and between them was a great valley. Turn with me to um, Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. I'm going to read. This is the story of, of the rich man and Lazarus. They both die. Lazarus is taken to Abraham's bosom. The rich man is in flames, torment. I'm going to read one verse, Luke 16, verse 26. This is Abraham speaking to Lazarus. And beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither they can pass from us, that would come from thence. There's something going on here. And they both know about each other, but it says there's a great gulf uh, in in, uh, Greek here, kasma, chasm. There's a chasm. There's a valley between us, and we really can't fight each other. In the spiritual world, there are realities. We all pray. Why do we pray? Why do we pray? If we, pray for, if we don't believe this, then we have nothing. We pray because we believe the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will change realities because of our prayer. Right? Otherwise, there's no reason to pray. If we don't believe that, we're, we're worse than the hypocrites. We believe that what we do here can affect that. We have to always be aware that the enemy, our spiritual enemy, also can affect this world 
in how things go. Now it says, it talked about a valley. And David had the courage and faith to go through that valley to fight God's enemy. Not just his. This, Goliath didn't know who David was. Goliath didn't hate David. He, he, what he saw filled him with anger. But he didn't know who David was. But David said, I'm going to fight the battle of the Almighty. And I have to go through this valley. And there aren't many people that can go there. And sometimes you don't have to cross over this valley. You don't have to get into the spiritual world. Although sometimes it seems like people do. We read in 2 Corinthians, Paul went to the third heavens. What did you do there, Paul? What do you mean you went to the third heavens and came back? What, what did you see? He said, I can't tell you what I heard. In the book of Revelation, it, it makes it sound like John also went there. The epitome of crossing over this gulf between us is God coming down to Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. To cross this valley and say, why? Why did he come here? To fight a spiritual battle. Couldn't, he's God, right? He sets the rules. He's the one who makes the laws. Why didn't he just fix it so we would be saved? Why did he decide he had to cross over to our world to save us? He decided it. And we have to somehow do something on the other side to change the battle that's raging against us. Turn with me to Daniel, chapter 10. Daniel, I, I, I really think Daniel didn't understand that he was fighting a spiritual war. The reason we can see things that they didn't, the scripture says, they, they desired to th- see and hear the things that you see and hear. Because we have this book. They didn't have this book. They lived it out, so they didn't know the ending. In Daniel, chapter 10, I'm going to read the first um, uh, verses 1 through 6. Daniel chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was Balthasar. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long. And he understood the thing, and he had understanding of the vision. In those da- days... I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all till three weeks were fulfilled. In the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river which had Delphil, I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen whose loins were girded with fine gold of Uphaz. Verse 6, his body was also like beryl, his face is the appearance of lightning, his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet in color, like in color to polished brass, the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. Three weeks. Daniel's praying. Daniel's fasting. These are two of the main forms of spiritual warfare that we are to carry out. And he's Something was revealed to him, and he doesn't understand it. And he's praying and fasting because he needs an answer for something. Now, this is a solution to the problem. We're, not gonna, we're touching this only in passing today. For three weeks, I decided that I would eat no meat, 
I would eat no pleasant bread and no wine till the three weeks were done. And then appears to me something from heaven, someone from heaven. I'm going to pick up, still in Daniel 10, verses 12 and 13. Then he said unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thy heart to understand and to chasten thyself to fast before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. Below Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. From the first day you started fasting, I was sent to help you. But the king of Persia, wait, you, you're, you're an angel and Michael came to you? Michael, like the angel, came to help you? And you couldn't come because the king of Persia, what do you mean the king of Persia? Unless you're talking about another angel, stopped you from coming. So there's war going on in the heavens trying to prevent help coming to you. Now, Daniel doesn't know this is going on until it's all done. But from the time Daniel started fasting for those three weeks, God ordained, go and strengthen Daniel. And it says, someone stopped me, and Michael came to fight the battle with me. We've talked about this chapter in the past. I want to flip back to the preceding chapter, chapter 9. Now, this is King, this is King Cyrus. King Cyrus had a son. Uh, there were two Dariuses. There's Darius the Mede and Darius the Persian. Cyrus had a son named Ahasuerus, who we're about to read about. So these two chapters are not in, in date order. Um, Daniel chapter 9, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of Yahweh came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. I set my face unto Adonai, God, to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. We're in another king's reign right here. And what's going on? I set my face to seek the Almighty by prayer and supplications and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. This was, this was I don't want to say routine, but this was not a one-time event for Daniel. And he's praying and he's fasting and he's trying to change reality. Why do you fast? You fast to change God's heart and his intentions. We're going to pick up verse 21 and 22. Yea, while I was speaking prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the even oblation. And he informed me and talked to me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning, verse 23, at the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. As soon as your supplication started. Daniel, you've been praying and fasting? I was sent. The command came for me, Gabriel, to come to you. That is, what did I say? Expect and believe in miracles. Even if you don't understand, what is this miracle about? What is the problem? I don't understand. 
Do you think Daniel knew? Was this Gabriel who appeared in chapter 10 and Michael came to help me? What do you mean you need two angels to fight against a demon? We don't understand. Let's not make up answers. The point is something's going on. Two angels came and he said, I'm here to help you. We're under attack right now. Satan decides, remember the book of Job? Satan's appears before God. He said, have you seen my servant Job? There's none like him, says God. Job said, yeah, because you're taking care of him. But just let me, let me put a little heat on him. He kills all his children. He afflicts him with sickness. His wife leaves him. He loses all his riches, everything. And Job never finds out, even to the end of the book, that he was being attacked by Satan. He doesn't know. And things happen in this world, and we never know it's because we're being attacked by Satan. But we have, we have ways of fighting it, even if you don't know. Now, I've said this before. Everybody here fights a spiritual battle. And it's not just that you're under attack. You're actually fighting. If you were, if you were um, someone wanted to break into your house, and you just live in your house the way you normally do. You turn the lights on, you have some music, you hear people talking, eating dinner, you go feed the dog. Every one of those sounds keeps the enemy away, right? He doesn't want to come while there's people in the house. You don't even know there's someone wanting to break into your house. Every time you pray, every time you fast, everything you do in obedience to God helps keep the enemy away. But what's better is if you understand. If this were a war going on, if you knew that there was someone going to break into your house, you'd make sure you made lots of noise. You'd make sure you didn't keep the dog chained up. You'd make sure there was somebody home at all times. There's a battle going on. And God sends angels to Daniel to say, I'm going to help you. Now remember we read in Revelation chapter 12, that Satan was, at, was having a battle with Michael and he was cast down to the earth. It says, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. People cross through that valley, sometimes for our benefit, sometimes not. Let's turn back to Joshua. So there's a battle about to take place and God says, march around, Joshua chapter 6, march around the city. Now, it's amazing for such... This is one of the most famous battles of all time. Joshua fit the Battle of Jericho. Everybody who's ever gone to church has, regularly has probably heard about this battle. There's actually very, very little written about this battle. We're just going to read just a few more verses. Joshua chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 20 through 25. So the people shouted... When the priest blew with the shofars, it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the shofar and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. They utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman and young and old and ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. But Joshua said unto the two men that had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath as he swore unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. 
They burned the city with fire and all that was therein. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of brass and iron they put in the treasury of the house of Yahweh. Joshua saved Rahab, the harlot alive, in her father's household, and all that she had. She dwelleth in Israel even unto this day, because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. It doesn't tell us much. Most, one of the most famous battles of all history. It doesn't tell us much, but we won. The walls came down. We rushed the city. But because we obeyed what the Almighty told us, the spiritual battle brought down the walls, and we were able to fight. There was one problem. Verse 18 and 19. Joshua told him, And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed things, lest ye make yourselves accursed. When you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel accursed, and you trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto Yahweh. They shall come into the treasury of Yahweh. You're going to destroy the city. The gold, silver, the brass, the iron, they go to the Almighty. Don't touch anything to make yourself accursed and make the camp of Israel accursed and you trouble all of Israel. Chapter 7, verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of Yahweh was kindled against the children of Israel. We're told specifically, don't touch anything. And we did. One man did. Achan. He took something he wasn't supposed to. Well, that's just one man. That, that shouldn't affect us. In Christianity, um, a lot of Christians look at themselves as God saved me. And he saved you, and he saved you. And the word us doesn't exist. They talk about the body of Messiah, but they don't live the body of Messiah, and they don't realize the body of Messiah is a body. So if someone goes shoplifting, and he's caught, and he's arrested, well, he shouldn't have done that. You're right, he shouldn't have. But do you mourn with those who mourn? Do you rejoice with those who rejoice? They said, well, we're going to, well, let's say he did something even worse. Well, he's going to be executed. Well, I'm sorry, he shouldn't have done that. If we're a body, and I went in a store, heaven forbid, and I stole something, I shoplifted it, and the police catch me, and they say, not in this country, but in other countries, we're going to cut off your hand. It's okay, that's just my hand, it wasn't me. You better believe I'm going to say, that's my hand, don't cut it off. Because I'm a body. And Israel was a body. It was a people. And because one man took of the accursed thing, Joshua had told them, if you touch this, all of Israel will be cursed. And Achan did. He took something, and all of Israel was cursed because of it. Still in Joshua chapter 7, verses 2 through 5. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ayah, and Bethaven on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go and view the country. And the men went up 
and viewed Aya. And they returned to Joshua and said, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Aya, and make not all the people to labor there, for there are but a few. So they went up thither of the people, about three thousand men, they laid and they fled before the men of Aya. And the men of Aya smote of them thirty-six men, for they chased them before the gate, even unto Shevarim, and smote them in the going down. Wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Now remember in Joshua chapter 1, he told us three times, be strong and of a good courage. When we met Rahab in chapter 2, she said, everybody's heart is afraid of you. They're terrified because you split the Red Sea 40 years ago. You're still shaking from that? And you just killed Og uh, in Sihon. You killed those kings just in the last year. We're afraid of you. Our hearts are like, they're melted. And that's how it's supposed to be. But here, because we lost track they were fighting a spiritual battle. It says our hearts melted and we lost. Because there's a curse on all of us. Because one man brought the cursed thing into the camp. <coughs> I never looked at it this way before. But, but it seems to me the way this is worded. It says all of Israel will be cursed. You know what the curse was on us? That we, did, we forgot it was a spiritual battle. Oh, it's a physical battle. Oh, it's a small city. Just send two or three thousand. We don't, see, we can do it. Excuse me, what about God? Isn't God in the picture anymore? We'll take care of this one, God. Just send two or three. Don't bother. Don't bother, bother everybody. Make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. Verse three. Don't bother everybody, because we can handle this one. That was the curse. We were blinded. And all of a sudden we lost track that there's still a spiritual battle going on because we had this great victory. Perhaps the most vulnerable moment of your life is when things are going well. Because you think, I can take care of things. I read a report that um, a few years ago, I don't know if it's true, that archaeologists could not find Aya. They found Jericho, but couldn't find Aya, presumably very close to it. And the reason why is because I guess its walls were built of wood. It had gates. Everything was wood, so it was not, it was not a big city. It wasn't like Jericho that had a double stone wall. And they finally found it and said, oh, this is what stopped them? It did, because we were cursed. Verse 6 through 9. This is the response. This is how you go into spiritual battles. This is what you do when you fail. And you say, I'm not done with this battle because you're not going to be done till the end. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith. Be vigilant. Vigilant means don't rest. Oh, we just beat Jericho. You don't rest. In real wars, you don't rest. And what happens when you lose? You rested and you lost. This is Joshua's response. This is what we have to do when we see a defeat, a spiritual defeat. Joshua, Joshua 7, 6 through 9. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face. 
before the ark of Yahweh until the eventide. He and the elders of Israel put dust on their heads. Joshua said, Alas, Adonai Yahweh, why hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we'd been content and dwelt on the other side Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us round about and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou, what wilt thou do unto thy great name? We lost. We lost. What are we going to do? He's on his face. He's crying to God. What are we going to do? Why didn't you just let us die there? This is Joshua? Joshua, who had great... <laughs> this doesn't sound like Joshua. But this happens to all of us when we face a defeat. He said, it was better that we had died in Egypt. We will be destroyed, and what will happen to your name? The Almighty answers him, and I think this answer applies to all of us. Verse 10 through 15. Yahweh said unto Joshua, get thee up. Why liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel has sinned, and they have transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have taken of the accursed thing, and have stolen, dissembled also. They put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you anymore, except you destroy the accursed from among you. Up sanctify the people and say sanctify yourselves against tomorrow for thus Yahweh the God of Israel says there is an accursed thing in the midst of thee O Israel thou canst not stand before thine enemies because you take away until you take away the accursed thing from among you in the morning thou shalt be brought according to your tribes and it shall be that the tribe which Yahweh takes shall come to the families thereof, and the family which Yahweh shall take shall come to the households, and the households which Yahweh shall take shall come man by man. And it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he hath transgressed the covenant of Yahweh, and because he hath wrought folly in Israel. Joshua said, he warned us. He said, if you touch the accursed thing, this is before we went in, if you touch the cursed thing, you will trouble all of Israel. We lost. All of Israel lost. To the point where our, our great leader is on his face crying, saying, we're doomed. We're going to die. We can't go on. And God says, you will continue to lose. I am not with you, he says. I am not with you. Until you get rid of the accursed things. When you're fighting a spiritual battle, you have to get rid of all the unclean things. The scripture says, no man who fights a battle. I think, I think it's in uh, 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy. It says, no man ties himself up with the busyness of this world. Otherwise, he can't fight a battle. There's some things you have to put down. But there's other things, accursed things, things that you are not allowed to have. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul talks about some of these. Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to read 
Ephesians 6. Excuse me, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 27. Paul says, neither give place to the devil. Give no place to him. Do you remember what happened when Ezra and Nehemiah built the temple? And they let some of their enemies actually live in the temple while they're trying to build it? Not Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah came by and said, what are you people doing? Who is this? This is one of the houses on the side for the priest. Why is he here? They've been trying to stop us from what we're doing. Why did you invite him in? Give no place to the devil. Do not invite him into your home. Do not invite him into your life. Do not invite him into your heart. Do not invite him into your memories. Do not invite him. Because there's a battle that we're fighting. There's a battle. And the battle, the battle is difficult enough. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 25. This I say then, Galatians 5, 16 through 25. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. They're contrary one to another so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. I'm going to stop there. He said, there's something going on. We're going to read this in, in uh, Peter, a verse that comments on this. He said, your flesh is fighting the spirit. And he said, you can tell what the spirit's trying to do and what your flesh is trying to do. The works of the flesh are manifest, are obvious, which are these, adultery, Fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such of the which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, it's obvious. We, we, you know, I don't want to bring witchcraft in. I don't want to be drunk. I don't want to, idolatry. There's other things. And you cannot allow these because it will fight against the spirit that's trying to lead you into victory. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. This is what, these are, the, these are the two sides. These are the two sides that are going on. And they that are messiahs have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let's walk in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, let's walk in the Spirit. Well, wait, are you telling me I can live but not walk in it? Yeah. We were, what happened in the first five chapters of Joshua? We said we're going to be obedient as a nation. We said they were, everyone was circumcised and entered the covenant right before we attacked uh, Jericho. We... Um, we said we'd be courageous, we'd be brave, our enemies were fair. We're doing everything wonderful, but all it took was one step in the wrong direction. If we live in the Spirit, let's walk in the Spirit. It's interesting here because he talks about the lusts. These are the works of the flesh, 
work of the Spirit. He talks about the lust of the flesh. Turn with me to 1 Peter. Let's go first to James. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Verses 1 through 3. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even from your lusts that war in your members? You lust and you have not. You kill and you desire to have and you cannot obtain. You fight and you war yet you have not because you ask not. You ask not. You ask and you receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it on your lusts. There's a war going on, James is talking about here. A war in your members, in your body. And he says there's something that's stopping you from winning this battle. It's lust. Now, lusting is, is some of the things mentioned there in the works of the flesh in Ephesians 6, at Galatians 5. Um, that's what happened with Achan. We're going we're gonna to turn back and read what he said. But you cannot have victory. This war is going on in your body because of lust, and you refuse to control it. You lust for what? You lust for money. You lust for immoral things. You lust for things, anything that's not yours. Anything that you should not have. And he said, and that's why there's wars. That's why there's wars. Verse 4 and 5. You adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy? There's a fight going on. He said, you think this is a joke? When the scripture says there's a war going on, you think it's a joke? There's a war. Verse 6 through 10, but he gives more grace. Wherefore, he says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. He says, resist the devil. There's a battle going on inside of you and you have to resist the devil and you will win. He said, do you think it's a joke? Do you think the whole spiritual battle is a joke? He said, it's not a joke and that's why you're warring. That's why your war's in front of you, inside of you. You know, some people may not know this, but there are people who you think, oh, this, this person's got it all together. I wish I could be so spiritual like them. They may have wars inside of them that they're fighting because they don't resist the devil and they don't believe that there's a spiritual battle and they don't refuse to, they, they, they won't say no to lust. And they're crippled. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshy lusts which war against your soul. Now, we read about witchcraft, we read about hatred, all these other things. And those are all true, and you need to get those out of your house. Go through that list in Galatians 5, the works of the flesh, and say, I don't have any of those. I don't own any of those. You don't want to own them in your heart. You don't want to own something in your house. If you have a video game that's about slaughtering people, and it's, it's, it's a video game just of hatred and murder, get rid of it. 
it's not helping you any? Or do you think the scripture says in vain that the spirit is fighting inside of you for no reason? Get rid of things. Don't cling on to the accursed thing. Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. Now, do you remember what it said, what um, Joshua said? If you, if you take something that's accursed, do you remember the word it used in Hebrew? What you would do to Israel? You would trouble Israel. Well, that word's only used a few times, like a, a dozen times in Scripture. It's called Echor. And it's very close to, to, to uh, Achan's name. But it means to trouble or to, to burden, to basically render powerless. So here Achan took something. We still haven't read what it was yet. But he took it, and Israel lost the battle. How could we lose? Because if you don't get rid of the accursed things, you can't fight. You can't. You must get rid of them. You must be willing to say, I'm in a real battle. And I'm getting rid of things. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 29. He that troubles his own house shall inherit the wind. The word for trouble here, uh, all the words, times you see trouble in English here, they're all the same word as he said, whoever takes the accursed thing will trouble Israel. He that troubles his own house will inherit the wind. What did he take? He took gold, took silver, took some clothes. I want to have something good for me and my house. You're going to inherit the wind. You don't hold on to the accursed things. You will not win. You lose. Proverbs 15, 6. Proverbs 15, 6. In the house of the righteous is much treasure, but in the revenues of the wicked is trouble. In the revenues of the wicked is trouble. What did he do? He said, oh, I want this gold. I want this silver. I want this Babylonian garment. There's trouble. It's not worth it. You don't take something. You don't lust for something that's not meant to be yours. Verse 27. So Proverbs 15, 27. He that is greedy of gain troubles his own house. He that hates gifts shall live. He that is greedy that lusts will trouble his own house. Lusting for things, James says, Peter says, there's a war going on inside of you and you're losing. And that war is there because you refuse to get rid of lusts. And we have a lot of battles, folks. We just captured Jericho. That was our first battle. We still have the whole Holy Land to capture. We win one amazing battle, and then we, we're, we're, we were 1-0, and oh, and now we're 1-1, one one, one win, one loss. And already we're saying, let's give up. We can't do it. We have a long battle in front of us, and we can't trouble ourselves and trouble the whole nation. Turn back to Joshua 7. Joshua 7. So they call all the tribes in front, then they call the families. It comes down to Achan. Joshua chapter 7, verse 19 through 23. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to Yahweh, the God of Israel. Make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done. 
Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against Yahweh, the God of Israel. And thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them. I took them, behold, they hid in the earth in the midst of my tent. The silver is under it. So Joshua sent messengers. They ran to the tent. Behold, it was hid in the tent and the silver under it. They took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel and laid them out before Yahweh. I coveted. I lusted. I wanted silver. I wanted gold. You will inherit the wind. You have troubled your own house. You have troubled the whole nation. And 36 men are dead because of you. Because of your lust. It says they brought them all out and they laid them before the Almighty. We soon forget that everything's before his eyes always. It doesn't matter if it's buried under his tent. The Almighty knew it was there. We can't lust. We can't take anything that is forbidden. Don't have it in your house. Don't have it in your heart. Don't have it on your computer. Don't have it. Don't have a piece of paper. Don't have a picture. Don't have anything. Don't have a book. Don't have a CD. Don't have a, a cassette tape. Get rid of things. Verse 24 through 26. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold, and his sons and his daughters and the oxen, his asses and the sheep and his tent and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Echor, the valley of troubling. Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? Yahweh shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with the fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So Yahweh turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. You know what we're supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be making memorials for all the miracles we had. Remember, we read about that when we crossed through Jericho. We went through the river. We made a memorial of stones in the middle of the Jordan River. We made a memorial just outside, and then we brought those stones with us. And here we are making a memorial that we troubled ourselves. But God is faithful. God is faithful even when we are not. God is merciful. God is righteous. God is everything good. Chapter 8, verse 1. And Yahweh said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Let's stop there. Fear not, don't be dismayed. What do you mean, don't? We just lost our second battle. I'm ready to give up. We just brought this person out, his family, all these belongings. We stone him. We burn things. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You lost the battle, not the war. We, I promised you, you will take this land. He promises us eternal life. Don't give up. You get rid of the accursed thing and you march in battle. Fear not. Do not be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you. 
Rise, go up to Ayam. See, I've given into thy hand the king of Ayam and his people and his city and his land. Purge out whatever you should not have. Get rid of it. Get rid of your thoughts that are not giving glory to the Almighty. Get rid of... What does the scripture say? Although we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imagination, imagination, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Messiah. Bring your thoughts into captivity. Tie them up. Do you you remember... uh, Rebecca, Rachel, can't remember which. They, both their names are derived from a word meaning lamb. But one of them means loops of rope. That she was so pretty that when, he, when her husband saw her, he, he felt like he was tied up. He couldn't escape her beauty and everything. You know what? The glory that's on the other side of eternity should tie up our thoughts that we can bring them into captivity. Nothing this world has to offer compares. Nothing Nothing. We have eternal life. We have glory waiting for us. So you've fallen. You know what you do? Fear not. Don't be dismayed. Get up. All of you. I've given the hand of the enemy. I've given the enemy into your hand. And his people. And his city. And his land. Blessed be God who is with us always. Avino Malkeno, our Father, our King. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, that you're merciful. Thank you that even when we sin against you, you pick us up and you tell us not to fear. You pick us up and you tell us to walk in your ways that you will lead us in victory. Thank you, Father, that you fight our battles for us. Father, pick up sword and spear and buckler now and come and defend us, Father, from the enemy that's too strong for us. For nothing is too hard for you. You can heal everyone in this room, Father, everyone who hears this, every one of your children everywhere, Father. You can give us strength to walk victorious and not be afraid that we would enter the land you promised to us. Thank you, Father, who forgives us our sins and leads us in battle. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.